BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is the Josh Marshall Podcast with Kate Riga. Today, we are going to talk about this pretty big news that broke last night. Just as a reminder, we are recording uh, Wednesday, December the 20th, just to give you a sense of where we are in time. Last night, uh, late yesterday afternoon, news came out of Colorado that the Colorado Supreme Court ruled that Donald Trump is actually ineligible to serve as president. And based on that, because in that state Supreme Court's opinion, he is ineligible to run for president, he should not be, I'm sorry, he's ineligible to serve as president, that the election authorities in that state should not put him on the ballot for the same reason you wouldn't put someone on the ballot who was under the age of 35 or who was born in a foreign country. They're not eligible, ergo, they should not be on the ballot. Now, this is a topic that we at TPM made a decision probably a good six months ago that we were going to follow this issue fairly closely because there are a couple different public interest slash activist groups that are making a go of this. They are going into the states where the legal terrain and the you know arrangement of who's in charge of what is favorable, trying to get Trump disqualified because he did lead an insurrection against the government of the United States. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment, but uh, for everything you can say about this, and I, I was actually just, when, when we started, I was, I was finishing up a post on this question, and I was getting into sort of, you know, what the amendment says, the legal pros and cons, all the kind of the atmospheric questions around it. And what I came back to is, at the end of the day, you can't get past the fact that on its face, the plain text of the Constitution seems to speak directly to Donald Trump's situation and says he cannot serve as president or serve in any other political office in the United States for that matter. Now, what it, what it seems to say on its face, you do a little more analysis than that. You look at history, you look at what the people were thinking when they wrote it. There's a bit of a question for reasons we don't have to get into here, whether it applies to the president, because it doesn't specifically invoke the president, even though it lists basically other political offices in descending order of importance and power. But it's right there. And, you know, I saw I saw someone on social media today, I can't remember who, but some, I don't know, some prominent political figure, maybe prominent journalist, I can't remember, you know, not not some random, saying this is kind of reminiscent of the birther stuff, you know, trying to get, uh, trying to say that Barack Obama couldn't serve as president because who, where was he born? 
you know, these kind of conspiracy theories and fake news about where he's born. And not really, not really saying something that is like obviously a lie to, and not just a lie, but something that is a lie in the service of a, you know, xenophobic, racist sort of attack on Barack Obama, whether he's a legitimate American, right? And by that means trying to uh, say he's you know ineligible to serve as president. No, that's not that's not really like this at all because this isn't some kind of you know constructive argument saying that Donald Trump is ineligible to serve. It's 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 almost like one of these things. Um, I don't know quite what analogy to use, but it's almost like you kind of look in some obscure part of the Constitution and there's a thing that says, by the way, Donald Trump should never be president. And you're like, holy shit. How do they how do they know how do they know Trump's name? I mean, it's right there. It's right there in the plain text. So and when I when I say this, I don't I don't really mean it is an open and shut case. I'm kind of equivocal about the whole thing for a number of reasons. But when people say, like, oh, this is just another liberal attempt to, you know, find some kind of clever gambit that will rid us of Donald Trump after all, or trying to find some crazy scheme that will rid us of Trump. Well, liberals have done a lot of that, but this isn't one of them. It's right there. It's right there. If you lead or participate in an insurrection against the government of the United States or rebellion or give aid and comfort of it, you're ruled out unless Congress votes by two-thirds to say, you know, give you a mulligan, give you an insurrection mulligan. Okay. So we're going to, we're going to get into that. Kate and I are going to get into the merits of it, the text. We're going to uh, talk about where this is going, which this is inevitably going to go right to the Supreme Court because there's no, and, and it should go to the Supreme Court because this is a matter of great consequence and we need clarity on it. We need, we need to know what the Supreme Court says, their corruption notwithstanding. And some other things are going to go to the Supreme Court, specifically this Trump immunity question, which, with which Jack Smith, the uh, special prosecutor uh, for Trump, has now you know, kind of escalated to, you know, Trump has this new immunity claim. We're going to get into a couple other things, but there's a lot to discuss. So, so Kate, let, let's, let, um, let's get into this. What, what, do you, what do you make of what happened yesterday afternoon? I mean, I think the opinion was well-reasoned. There were a few dissents. It was a 4-3 decision, and Trump's team is kind of trying to split the baby of, well, these are all Democratic appointees rigged, but also kind of putting stock in the, the dissents of the three. Like you said, this will definitely go right to the Supreme Court now. It's one of those things that is so hugely momentous and also unlikely to have that big of a practicable effect. The court, when they handed down their decision, they said, you know, we're going to put this on pause to give Trump's team time to appeal to the Supreme Court, which they said they're going to do. And then if the Supreme Court doesn't act right away per that deadline, it'll be too late in terms of taking Trump off the primary ballot because that's the it'll be right before the deadline to kind of finalize the candidates on that ballot. So odds are he's probably going to stay on the primary ballot in Colorado just by virtue of 
timeliness. So then we're just talking about whether or not he'll be on the ballot for the general election in Colorado, which goes without saying, if Trump wins Colorado, none of this matters because he is going to win a North Korean-esque presidency. Um but yeah, it used to be a swing state, but it is no longer a swing state. Right. I mean, I think means, yeah, Biden won it last by 13.5 points. You know, it's it's just it's not in play. Um, yeah. I think the, the biggest kind of knock on effect you could maybe hope for from this is that, you know, if it gets upheld at the Supreme Court, which seems super unlikely to me, but if it does, that would definitely embolden kind of copycat efforts elsewhere and likely in states that actually matter in terms of presidential electoral politics. So so the kind of best case scenario for this is, I don't know, the Supreme Court gets high on this day and comes in and decides, you know what, we're actually going to rule against Trump, to whom we owe, a third of us owe our lifetime appointments and another third of us is our candidate of choice. Um, and we're going to rule against him. He is blocked by the 14th Amendment, despite the fact that Republicans are kind of, you know, gnashing of teeth and rending of garments over this. And re- Democrats aren't really saying much of anything, um, w- which is in line with kind of some of the reporting that we've done around this. You know, I traipsed around the Hill and kind of asked Democrats what they thought about it. And a few progressives are, are on board, but really a lot of them are very squeamish about this. And it's the same squeamishness that a lot of people have, which is it feels kind of un, undemocratic. You know, it, it makes you a little bit uncomfortable. The idea to take away the huge front runner on this, you know, kind of legal technicality type thing, which people rebut by saying it's a fairly low bar to not have committed insurrection against the United States. You know, that's it's a pretty easy requirement to meet. But I mean, that but that's the landscape, right? You've got so much of the weight on the side of either this is a rigged witch hunt against Donald Trump or this makes me feel a little bit squicky and I don't I, I don't really like it that much. So there's no public pressure really whatsoever on the Supreme Court to reverse from their knee-jerk reaction to support Trump. So, I mean, I think likeliest here is whatever the timeline may be, if he gets on the primary ballot just because it takes them a while, that's that. And then the Supreme Court will probably knock down the Colorado Supreme Court. But all of that being said, I still think it's important. I still think it's going to be a key part in the kind of historical telling of this era. You know, I don't think it's for nothing that the highest court in a state made up of presumably, you know, the kind of some of the top legal minds there found that January 6th was an insurrection, that he was engaged in it, that he is unfit for office. You know, it's this is in keeping with some a theme that we say sometimes on the pod, which is you got to do some stuff, even if it probably won't work or even if it won't have any kind of effect beyond crafting the narrative of this time. So that's kind of where I land on it. I think it's important. I think it's a pretty 
uh, moving text in some ways, the the opinion. Um, and I also think it's not likely to have all that much effect on the 2024 race. And I don't really buy the argument that some people are saying, which are, well, this is going to embolden Team Trump, you know, yet another way people are coming after him. It's like, okay, come on. they How much more emboldened can they be on that front? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't... Um, I, it's funny, I, ha- I have a, a weird mix of opinions on this because as I said, I'm pretty, I'm a pretty equivocal kind of on the merits, a, um, or somewhat equivocal on the merits. I don't think it will, he's not going to get disqualified in a meaningful way. There are, there, there are too many fail safes for him, not least of which is just the Supreme court. They're just not going to let that happen. And they may even have valid reasons for not letting that happen, but we know that they don't need valid reasons. But to your point, and this is kind of what I'm writing about in this post that I'll probably publish, you know, sometime not too long after we're done uh, recording this, is that there are just some ways that are good ways to live in the world, especially in the political world, and other ways that are not good ways. And one way that is not good is to say, this guy tried to overthrow the constitutional order. He he did this massive political crime. It so happens that the Constitution speaks directly to this. Directly. Directly to this. And the idea that Democrats of all people will come forward to say, you know what? It's just uh just I don't know. I, I I we gotta you know let this let this let this chalice pass from us, you know, because it might it seems a little weird and it might upset some people. That's that that's a bad mentality. That is that is some afraid of your shadow kind of bullshit. That is just a not, just not a good way to live in the world. Certainly in in the, in the political world, because again, that's just being afraid of your shadow. Can you imagine anything like that ever happening on the other side? If there was anything like even plausibly in the ballpark, you'd have all these kind of like you know wildcat Republicans, you know wildcat probably even the RNC, you know going down to that that dude in Amarillo and you know filing all these lawsuits and you know blah 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 and. So that that's just dumb, and I think I think the right way to look at this is a kind of you know uh, you know appreciative disinterest. You know, I'm not doing it. I didn't bring the case. I'm not you know have some. I'm not going to get upset about it. I'm certainly not going to kind of run interference for Donald Trump about it. And again, the idea that it's going to like you know empower Trump. First of all, that's not a good rabbit hole to even go down just on the on the merits of that point about how you should live in the world but on a broader sense we know he launched an insurrection everybody knows that right <laughs> even even like the, the the polls on this have always been pretty clear a big a, a substantial majority of the country thinks that some of them think it's kind of it's old news but they remember it happened okay and it is it's good to have the Supreme Court weigh in on this. They are, you know, sometime over the over the course of the next month or so, they're going to have to weigh in on what happened on January 6th. What was that? And we that is that is going to be a good thing for the court to weigh in on. Now, you know, as part of this, let's 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 discuss the kind of the range of possible 
decisions they could have. They wouldn't have to uphold the Colorado Supreme Court. They could just make a federalist argument and just say, this is the state's, this is Colorado's call. They administer their own elections and this is what they came up with. It's not for us to, we have nothing to say about it. So it, you know, in a sense, they're ruling in, in Colorado's favor, but they're not making a decision on the merits. They could, obviously they could uphold it on the merits, seems, you know, beyond beyond the realm of possibility. They could just say, hey, this is not an insurrection. This was a Civil War amendment. They're talking about a kind of an armed insurrection against the United States. This doesn't count, ergo, doesn't apply to Trump, done. That is the decision I would like to see, because I would like them to see, let's say what happened. You know, let, let's have SCOTUS kind of tell us what happened there. Obviously, they could also just say, doesn't apply to the president which I hope they don't do because that will be the least fun and the least public educative approach. But, you know, no one who properly understands that Donald Trump is a danger to this country should be losing sleep over this. This is something he brought on himself. If he didn't want to go through, have to go through these hoops, he shouldn't have, he shouldn't have tried to stay in office after he lost. That's the best way to look at it. Yeah. And I'm almost kind of most interested in this in terms of how it'll interplay with, I think, the much bigger question that's coming to the court now. Um, and this stems from the felony case against Trump based on the, the January 6th insurrection. And just recently, a few days ago, Jack Smith asked to expedite uh, this question of Trump's sweeping claims of immunity from, you know, all his his words or actions while in office to kind of jump over the DC circuit and to bring it right up to the Supreme Court. That's his attempt to make sure that this trial still proceeds starting on March 4th, because if this question has to go through the entire normal appellate briefing process, you know, it's, it's hard to see how the trial would stay on track. Also, the D.C. Circuit has kind of already addressed this in a civil context, saying that he's he doesn't get to claim this huge sweeping immunity, which is also the decision that we got from Tanya Chutkin, the, the lower court judge. So basically, the government here is just being like, this is going to get to the Supreme Court at some point. Let's just do it right now. Because if Trump wins on this immunity question, I mean, that case is over. It might even depending on how the Supreme Court decides it, have the legs to reach into some of the other cases. And when you break them down, it's like the Mar-a-Lago docs one is probably safe from this either way because it's post-office conduct. The Stormy Daniels one, pre-office conduct. Um, and then that leaves you with Georgia. So it might just be kind of constrained to this one case, depending on how far they go. But it's a, you know, it's a big question. The whole case will kind of turn on whether he gets to claim this immunity, which pretty widely, there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of dissent within the legal community that he doesn't get to claim this kind of immunity based on the Tell us what kind of immunity he is. What is the scope of the immunity that he is claiming? He's basically saying, you know, a version of the Nixonian thing that if you're president, it's not illegal. So that would cover him from his words, you know, his actions, everything kind of related to January 6th. Well, he's in office, so he's fine. 
does does it even have I, I know remember there was there was the, the litigation with Mark Meadows where he was basically saying, Hey, when I was down in Georgia, I was acting as chief of staff. So, you know, kind of like it's a it's a it's it's a version of uh Meadows was basically arguing something like qualified immunity. I was chief of staff. This is chief of staff work. You can't you can't come at me criminally about it. With what Trump is saying now, is it basically like that? Or is it the kind of thing like literally if he had like, you know, w- walked onto Fifth Avenue and started shooting people that even he'd be immune from even things. So it's, 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 it's basically, so the whole idea we've always been told, you know, why we can't have nice things during a presidency, that president can't be indicted. He can only be impeached. And the follow on to that is you impeach him and then you can indict him once he's out of office that Trump is now saying, in fact, no, you can't, you can never indict me for anything I did as president that I'm literally above, (laughs) above the law and my, my aboveness remains even after I'm president. So as as you say that that it is very hard to imagine that even the Supreme Court would okay that. Um, now do we know tell us about as best we know the timing of two, these two things. Are they likely to kind of be on a similar track even though they're coming from very different places? So that's the rub a little bit. Jack Smith has asked for this to go very quickly, right? Like he, his proposed schedule is kind of, you know, give us a few days, give him a few days and then decide. But the court is not under any requirement to kind of abide by that. They may even, which I think would give some people true bad faith heart attacks, um, say, you know, we don't want to leapfrog the the normal you know, series of events. We respect the appellate court. We benefit from their briefings, which I I really think would make people pull their hair out a little bit because this court has shown no hesitation to um, issue cert before judgment in the Biden student loan case, the big abortion cases, and, you know, every case that kind of has a conservative flavor to it. They've been more than happy to just intercede right away. But so, I mean, it, that one, it just, it all depends. They could even say, you know, we're, we'll get involved after the D.C. Circuit issues its opinion. And the D.C. Circuit, to its credit, is trying to go quickly, trying to work on an expedited timeline. So it's the kind of thing where we could have an immunity decision by the end of this week. One of our editors thinks that we will, or it could be months. You know, there's there's no way of knowing. The court hasn't really indicated either way yet. I think we'll probably get a faster decision in Colorado just ba- purely on the basis of what we've been saying that it's so hard to imagine a world where they don't kind of do some flavor of we're not upholding this. But there too, the Colorado Supreme Court just froze everything in its tracks till the Supreme Court hands down a decision. And like we said, we're kind of close enough to the primary deadline where I don't, it's almost impossible to see them acting before it. So without that as an acting timeline, it's kind of like, okay, well, then you just have to kind of make a decision before the general ballots need to be finalized in Colorado. So really have absolutely no idea. In both cases, it could be days, it could be months. And in in the immunity case, is this, is this also, is this, Another instance where the bar is that you need four justices to say, "Yeah, I'd like to I'd, let's 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 do it." Is that is it does it work the same way? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's hard for me to. Well, on the ballot eligibility issue, I would think 
that even if there is disagreement on the court about the merits of the case, that there would be something like unanimity that like, we can't leave this hanging out there. Right. This is like a, this is too, and I, and I think that is right, that this is, this is a very explosive question mark over the election and it, that we should come in and say, you know, yes, this is, this is in play for this election. We'll see what states, you know, opt to do this or kind of, we're just not going down that path. Cause again, it's sort of, and you know, I think one thing we all recognize listeners is that there's only a pretty few states that are at all swing states and are where this could conceivably happen. And the one that jumps out, I mean, it's not going to happen in Texas. You're not going to find this Texas Supreme Court is going to like, yeah, hey, yeah, no Trump. Uh, that's, you know, and vice versa. But the one that jumps out to me is Michigan. Michigan is basically under total democratic. Uh, and I think they've they've made a go at it, but maybe they can make an, take another bite at the apple now. Is that where we are on Michigan? Yeah. Um so far, they haven't had success in Michigan. This one of these groups lost at a lower court and is now appealing the decision to the state Supreme Court. So still in a place where, you know, the There's Supreme no Court could reverse. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Right. Um, right. Right. So, you know, it's it's a kind of thing where all the write ups of this Colorado piece conclude with like efforts so far have been unsuccessful in, in these myriad liberal states, which is true. But a lot of them, you know, have not gotten to the end of their you know, life yet. And obviously right. this one being upheld would I think upend the entire game board, right? Yeah, it it would I, I would I would wonder too whether there would yeah, I mean, in the almost impossible scenario where the Supreme Court signs off on this, A, it's there people are gonna try everywhere, even in states that it's totally hopeless. And I would imagine that even in sort of swing states where it seems to have failed, you know, once it seems like it, it's possible that you'd have groups come forward and say, you know, okay, we're, we're, we have a new legal theory to get into court again. So I, I, I do think that the Supreme Court, and I would imagine that all of the justices, albeit possibly with different thoughts about how they should rule, they've all got to realize this, this, needs to be, this needs to be settled quickly. Right. I think it's just it's also just an easier case. It's an easier case for them to side with Trump without every single person screaming like they're being partisan hacks. Right. The immunity case is not that it's one that I think they do not want to take up where the very procedural speed of it all is a huge issue because the government wants it to go fast. Trump's number one tactic in these cases has been delay the case so it doesn't get decided before the 2024 election, and then he can just drop it if he wins. So if they wanted to help Trump in an indirect way, they could force kind of the D.C. Circuit proceedings to come to an end before they intervene long enough that oh, whoops, there's no more room on the Supreme Court docket this term. They need to take it up in the 24-25 term and then just kind of drag it out, you know, just delay the question right. until it doesn't matter anymore. And you're thinking with the immunity case is that they don't want to have to bum Trump out because it, it, it certainly seems to me that I cannot imagine that there is any majority, even on this court, for saying that presidents are immune from basically that they cannot 
break a law as president, even you know. So, so it, even if the indictment comes later, I just I, I that seems inconceivable to me. I mean, I I would I wouldn't be surprised if like Alito and Thomas find a way just just because they love Trump so much. But like that's so that's so outside the bounds of any sort of stream of of jurisprudential thinking that I'm aware of. And let's be honest, they want to hold it open for Biden or Gavin Newsom or whoever else, right. you know, they want to they want to invite Democrats in the future. So bum Trump out, but you know, it could potentially be the deciding question for his freedom. This is his big yeah. defense, you know, is I mean, what other defense can he have in some of these cases other than I was the president, I'm untouchable, your evidence doesn't matter. So so that's the biggie. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. Okay. there's also one more thing that's coming to SCOTUS that's kind of tangentially related to this, though might come even slower through the pipeline, which is they've agreed to take up a challenge to obstruction charges being used against January 6th insurrectionists. That's a really the common one, you know, that they were obstructing the official government proceeding by trying to obstruct the government proceeding. And this is coming up in the case of one of the rioters, but obstruction is one of the four case, the four charges that Jack Smith brought against Trump in the January 6th case. So if they decide that's that's not good, that's not the meaning of that charge anymore, that would almost certainly get at least the one charge tossed against Trump in that case. Got it. Got it. So a lot going on at SCOTUS. More of this scintillating content after these messages. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Back to the show. So those are the SCOTUS goings on. We should talk about this whopper of a defamation verdict that a jury handed down for America's favorite mayor, Rudy Giuliani, stemming from his endless defamation of these two women who um, were election workers in Georgia. The jury decided on a $148 million settlement about three times what the women had asked for, <laughs> which is just <laughs> which enough is totally to make the hair enough. day melt, yeah. hair dye melt right down your face, right? Um, and this I was guess a, it's a, like half compensation, half punitive, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. And, and these women... Um, 
Freeman and Moss became kind of nationally known um, after the January 6th hearings where they testified in some of the most emotional days of that hearing about how dreadful their lives had become ever since they became kind of main characters in the MAGA universe who, uh, you know, Trump at all kind of accused of vote tampering and all that ridiculous stuff we saw at the time where you would have kind of like grainy footage of someone getting out a mint and they would be like, that's it. The election was stolen. So they got this huge settlement. Of course, as is always the case with these settlements, especially for someone like Rudy, who by all accounts is in financial distress, how much of that money they'll actually see is a question. Um, how much of money Rudy actually has is a question because that's, throughout this case, he wouldn't, yeah. he wouldn't tell them. Well, that, that's the part that I, that I feel bad about. I mean, clearly, they were never going to get $150, $150 million. That's going to be knocked down at some appellate level. But clearly, Rudy doesn't have, I mean, he certainly doesn't have $150 million. And for, from everything we hear, he's sinking. He's, he's mm-hmm. you know, he may, he may not have any net assets at all. So I would certainly like it if, I, I would like to see, their mother and daughter, right? Mm-hmm. Even though they have different last names. That's um, right. I would love to see these two just be set for life, you know, yeah. monetarily. If they each got just a few million, I mean, a few million dollars, right? It's sort of <laughs> once you're once you're coming down from 150 million dollars, it's like ah, oh, just a mere few million dollars. Right. Um, but it's not clear that Giuliani has that money, unfortunately. But you know, the thing I wanted to say about this is that in a in a free society, defamation law is always going to be prone to a lot of abuse, right? It's it's a it is just inherently going to be something that powerful people use to silence people. Having said that, and and you know, I I'm not an expert on the you know, the legal intricacies of defamation law in this context, but from a policy perspective, this is why we have defamation law. When you have someone zeroing in on a private person, right? It's, it is well established in our law that if you're a public person, if you're a political figure, you've got to get into the tussle and maybe certain people are going to say damaging things about you, but we have broader civic reasons why we want to, you know, leave a lot of, a, a lot of room for that, right? Very robust conversations. But a case like this where you take a private person, not a public person, start saying things that are total, total lies and you know they are lies, and you're doing it because it helps you. And you do that, A, knowing they're lies, knowing you're damaging the person, and you just don't care. And that is exactly what happened here. And, you know, there's a different kind of damage, a, a more monetarily relevant damage in in the Smartmatic, you know, the 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 the, the voting voting machine companies, they have a more tangible business damage, something that can actually be arguably, you know, quantified in monetary terms. But they're a big public company, right? People say things. This is just average people doing kind of their civic duty, right? I mean, have you ever worked as as 
an, an election person just kind of tabulating the vote. I never have, but that's that that's like that's that's the Lord's work, right? And so, it is a righteous verdict, regardless of how much they get compensated, because it's just it's so awful what these people did to these to these women. It just it's 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 terrible. Yeah, exactly. I I totally agree, and it's also an example of just. This is such a Trump thing to do, picking low-hanging fruit to demonize in this way. People who, like you said, you know, private people who are just trying to kind of do their civic duty, but also people who have no protection whatsoever, right? I mean, they're normal people living in a normal place in Georgia, and all of a sudden, whether they're intended to be realized or not, they're flooded with death threats, people saying that they should be lynched. I mean, the most horrible, violent things. And you hear these women say they feel that they've lost their name and their identity because that's not a safe, being themselves is no longer a safe person to be. So yeah, I think you're totally right. And the saga is kind of continuing because in the past few days, they filed a new suit both asking that they can pursue the money right away because in cases like this, there's usually a 30-day grace period for the person to kind of get their funds together. Um, right. But they argue that there's a real risk that tr- that Rudy could just kind of, Send to the extent to that he has any money, yeah. empty all his accounts and get it out yep. of there. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And also because he hasn't stopped defaming them since the jury issued their, their verdict. He immediately went outside to the mics and said, no, this they did it. They they stole the election. They tampered with the election. So they're also asking for like an additional kind of targeted injunction to make him stop defaming them. It's isn't it so Trumpian though, this whole thing of like he, he, massive, massive monetary penalties and Rudy's like, nah, I'm never gonna have to pay that. That's not a problem for me. There still will never be consequences. Yeah, I mean I <laughs> I guess at some level, once you already have a hundred fifty million million dollar judgment, <laughs> yeah. you're kind of like whatever. Like you're up it. the creek I'm, either way. Yeah, like I'm old. I've got a hundred fifty dollar. You know, I'm I'm invincible now. Are you going to give me right. a three hundred million dollar judgment? Five hundred million dollar judgment? So right. I mean, at a certain not to at a certain level, I understand it, but it is just you know they should. Uh, <laughs> there should be some greater consequence. I don't know what it could be, but he deserves it wherever. Because it's just, it's, it's, this is what malice means. Yeah. This is what malice means under the law. It, 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 it's like never more clear than this. I mean, the other complicating factor is that so many other people are also seeking money from Giuliani for, you know, defamation and, and related things. You know, Hunter Biden's trying to get a piece of him, too. So I don't know. I don't know what the punishment should be for people like this when you don't have the money. I mean, some of this has been newly uh, kind of trod with the um, Alex Jones, Sandy Hook verdict, also got a massive defamation payout that he couldn't pay and that at least we've learned from that that Giuliani's not going to be able to just file for bankruptcy and say like that gets him out of everything like like Jones tried to do. So you know there, there's more to come on this. Like you said, there's going to be appeals. Almost certainly the total will get knocked down at some point. But at the very, very least, and I, I totally agree with you, I hope that these women get something up a, a piddling five million for their troubles. <laughs> exactly. Um, but at the very least, 
pretty resounding statement from a jury of his peers being like, no, you're an asshole and you're three times an asshole than the, these women even think you are. <laughs> it's funny. I did not I did not know that they upped it from what you know, because the normal thing is you reduce it, not not right. you, not not you, not you up it. I was going to say that with all these people on Rudy's trail, there should be a consent decree that Rudy needs to go back to Ukraine, <laughs> hook up with the oligarchs again, yeah. and reload on money, and come back with say a mere fifty million dollars, so that everybody can be. All the people seeking justice can be made whole. Um, only seems his, fair. <laughs> yeah, it, it really does only seem he's, fair. I think he still hasn't paid the fees from renting out the Four Seasons Total Landscaping space as well. So throw some dollars their way. It is, you know, there is this there is this thing about Rudy and all of these things. You know, there, there's one of the big things in our politics and in, and in the culture generally in some ways, since the world financial crisis, it, there's a number of things that happen in the first decade of this century that it that it turns on. It's also the WMD stuff in Iraq, and you know, elite immunity. That there are the sort of the normal people like us who, if you steal something, you're in trouble, and you may go to jail or you whatever that life is hard and sometimes when you don't do anything wrong you face a lot of consequences and there are other people who just there are no consequences for anything and trump and rudy and and certainly there is this question in our broader society a lot of other people but certainly trump and rudy that their whole time on the public stage is like one big long elite immunity performance art Right. Totally. I mean, like, what is it? The rental for this little uh, gas station or whatever it was, <laughs> like even the little things. It's one thing, like no one's going to pay out the $150 million. You're going to somehow or another, you're going to get it knocked down. You're going to file for bankruptcy and whatever, but you're probably going to pay something. But even these things of kind of like, you're going to stiff the caterers who came to right. the... The, the campaign event, just, just again, it's like performance art. It's more than arrogance. It is, it's this kind of constant demonstration. There are no consequences ever, ever. There's always another angle. And, you know, on the pod, we have talked about this before in the way that whether or not it is true, we're going to find out over the course of the next 12 months, whether it is true, that when we see like... Trump has a big legal reverse or this happened or that happened. It's very hard for all of us not to think, I don't know how it's going to happen, but Trump will never be held. Trump will never actually be arrested or, or have a guilty. <laughs> we don't know how he's invincible. And that's part of his, that's part of his magic that he just kind of like nothing matters and he just skates on everything. And it's, 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 it's both tragic and hilarious at the same time. Totally. So let's end with the rarest of phenomenon, e.g. good polls for Joe Biden. <laughs> um, this came in a pair uh, from the New York Times and Monmouth in the last couple of days this week. Uh, why don't you take us through that, Josh? You've looked at them closer than yeah, I have. Yeah, and, and it, it's, it's, it's funny because they're not, you know, they're not great polls for Biden, but they have one of the, okay, so one of the, whoa. There's two things that I think about this that are worth mentioning. One is that 
one of these polls is the New York Times Siena poll. And you know, they it's it is for some good reasons, very well respected poll. Whenever it comes out, it seeds a lot of conventional wisdom and everything. And um, there was one of these polls, uh, God, maybe two or three months ago. I can't remember. It was one of the first of those polls that finally showed Biden like behind, like not like it's it's he's one point behind or he's not ahead enough. He's like four points behind. And the Times, you know, ran a front page. Biden behind, the world is ending, Biden, totally behind. And when they did this one, where Biden is slightly ahead, the headline was like, everything still sucks for Biden. <laughs> Details of how it sucks for Biden. So it's one of these examples of kind of you see, is it, is it bias? Is it is it being wedded to the conventional wisdom, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The other thing that is interesting about, and again, when we say good polls, we're, we're seeing that in with a lot of scare quotes and, and, and a lot of context. I believe both of the polls showed him two points ahead among likely voters. That's basically a tie. That's nothing to get excited about, but it's better than four points back. Although, frankly, it is, you know, basically within within the margin of error. But was it's interesting in both these polls, and it also goes to that question of conventional wisdom and 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 so on and so forth. That both of these polls had a lot of internal, you know, uh, cross tabs that are, you know, kind of like. Among 26-year-olds, 90% wish Biden would just die. You know, just these, just these insane, insane numbers, terrible, you know, Biden on the economy, 10% approval, I'm making this up, but you get the idea, these horrific numbers. And yet, he's actually running ahead of Trump and he's running a little bit better than he was in the same polls uh, two or three months ago. So again, it's not that like everything is awesome again, and Biden's definitely going to win. I do, th I do think, and and this is something that I think is really worth uh, paying attention to. One theory about where we are politically is that there's never going to be a president who's getting like fifty five percent approval, because people are just cranky, and you have a very polarized electorate, and so you start off basically half the people hate you on day one. And then you have some dissatisfaction within your own party and you're down in the 40s or something like that. But I think one of the things we see in these polls is that some of these internal numbers like, you know, Biden on the economy, Biden on Ukraine, Biden on Gaza, whatever, some of these things are a, they are not public opinion. They are people sending a message about dissatisfaction. And if you're president, they're sending a message of dissatisfaction that's targeted at you. That's not great for you. I mean, obviously. But what we've seen is these things are un are not as tightly fastened to the core issue, which is who do you support, as we might think, or as they have been historically. Now, one thing people say is, well, it is, it's just that Trump is so terrible that he's still kind of holding his own against Trump. Sort of, sort of, but I'm not sure that's really the case. These things are not as tightly fastened as they have been in the past, as we expect them to be. Because a lot of these internal numbers about Biden, he should be 15 points behind Trump. If, if, if this is really where we are, 
So those are just important things to keep in mind. Uh, one other point I wanted to mention that is 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 partly related to this because it's come up a bit. There's continues to be this basic question: Why are voters so down on the economy when, by at least the conventional measures that we've had in the past, the economy's doing quite well? Very low unemployment. Inflation has clearly come down into normal levels again. Blah 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 blah. And the the big answer, and I think a very good answer, is inflation was a big deal. The current U.S. population has very little life experience with inflation. We haven't had like big inflation in about forty years. Um, and the thing about inflation that is a bigger deal than unemployment is. Even when you have 10% unemployment, 90% of the people are employed. So that's a little scary, but it's not affecting them directly. Inflation affects everybody. You, you pay gas, food, so it, it's, it's, it's more pervasive. But here's the other thing that I think we need to keep in mind, and it's the, it's the part that is really not part of the campaign dialogue, campaign discourse. Shockingly, we are coming up on four years since the beginning of the COVID pandemic. I mean, amazing when you think about it, but we're like four months, maybe not even four months uh, away from it. The pandemic sucked. And the stuff that came after the pandemic sucked. There was a lot of public disorder. Not, that's not the same as crime. Just a lot of chaos in our society. There was inflation. There was all these things. Now, when we think about it, well, that started under Trump, right? Well, yeah, but the first six, seven months of the pandemic was this chaotic historical event, and it's also a while ago now. So I think we need to appreciate the fact that Joe Biden's presidency has heavily overlapped with that period of everything sucking. And it, it really has sucked. Now, it's not Joe Biden's fault, and there's certainly a good argument, I think the accurate argument, that he did a great job pulling us out of it. But the reality is for all that, the reality is that the last four years has been harrowing, and it sucked, and there's been lots of suffering, and lots of mid-level suffering of like, shit, why does things cost so much? And when we think about, you know, why is he unpopular? That's a big part of it, and I don't think we can discount that. And obviously a big part of that is inflation, but you know, just even in the basic sense like living in myself living in New York City, I have not it's not crime because you know, crime did go up and then it started going down. But things are just more chaotic since the pandemic. Little you know, and 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 that makes perfect sense. It's like what are those little Christmas globe things you shake around? What are those called? Snow um, globes. Yeah, snow globes. It's like we're a snow globe, and someone took it and shook the shit out of it, and everything just kind of got broken. And you know, does that help knowing that for why you know why Biden is 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 having a hard time? Well, in a way, no. But but to me, that is how. That's why I'm not that shocked that he's, you know, that that he has been unpopular for most of his presidency because things have sucked and you just you just can't get around that. 
Totally. And I think there's also just a piece where I very much agree with you. I think we're in this like weird social ennui time, you know, crime in D.C., it's so hard to talk about because there's so many bad actors invested in depicting it as a, right. a hellhole. But, you know, crime is up in D.C. It's most worryingly up among groups of um, like young people, like teenagers, which I don't think we've even begun to start talking about how the snow glow shaking affected the people who were in a very formative experiences while they were mm-hmm. shaken, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which already compounds, I think, some of the difficulties of that generation and, you know, having your first phone be a, be an iPhone and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, it's funny. I was at my book club last night and people were talking about trying to buy houses. And it was just, you know, across the board, all women who are in you know, pretty like white collar jobs, a lot of lawyers and government workers and stuff. And everyone was just like, there's no way. There's no mm-hmm. financial way to buy a house when interest rates are so high. And just in general, buying property, you know, in a city or or kind of in the metro area anyway, is just completely out of reach, right? And like, it's not that that is a new phenomenon or a Biden-induced phenomenon, but it does feel a little bit like we were in the snow globe, we got all shaken, we came back and it was inflation. And then also just the kind of impossibilities of affording things that had been on a steady incline for years, right? But it's just like, you're kind of dropped back into that reality where it's like, Mm -hmm. you can't buy a house. The fact that you know, my parents were able to kind of like fund my college experience is is boggling to me and, and is something that there's no way I could ever afford for my own kids. You know, it's just not. And it, again, it's just I, I just think it's all in the stew. Right. I think mm-hmm. it's all just in the mix. And, and you know, obviously the price of housing is a pretty it's not it's not a it's not because of inflation per se, but the Fed needs to jack up interest rates to get inflation under control. Jacking up interest rates is the big cause of the effective price of housing going up. So these things are all, you know, a number, it's dominoes being knocked down. And I uh, refinanced my family's apartment sometime like in the fall of 2020. So kind of like when the interest rates were still great. I mean, even better than they had been you know, before the pandemic and, you know, had a, got a great rate to, to refinance the apartment. And then, you know, and, and look, I'm, I'm a relatively financially literate person, but like sometime earlier this year, I kind of plugged in the numbers like, okay, if I was doing it now at this rate, how different would it be? And like, holy shit, I was stunned. <laughs> and again, I, I, I'm, I, I've, I've run a company for 20 years. I'm not a neophyte, right? I, 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 know, how, I know how money works. I know about compounding interest and, and how it works in both directions. But damn. I mean, it, it made a huge difference. And what are we talking about? Like, you know, three to 7% or something like that. Well, over 30 years, that really piles up. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it's, you know, these, you know, everything sucks. Why is Joe yeah. Biden pop- unpopular? Because everything sucks. And it's not his fault, but he's he's got the big job. So he takes a lot of the hit for that. And former TPMer Brian Boitler just wrote about this in his newsletter and also put another kind of lens on it that I hadn't fully thought about, which is that 
feeling of despair, you know, whether it be because things are too expensive or democratic decay or the crushing disappointment that Americans can have seen who Trump is for these past years and still be willing to vote for him. What, you know, abortion, the Supreme Court, whatever kind of permutation of that upsets you individually the most as like a left-leaning human. I mean, that exactly is where Trump wants people to be, right? That completely plays in. And it's always a question of how much of this stuff is purposeful and how much of the environmental factors are just kind of playing into his hand right now. But I do, it's something I hadn't really thought that much about. And it's worth keeping at the forefront, I think, that the feeling of general kind of ennui and depression about the thing, the way that things are, that is a right wing project, whether consciously or unconsciously. Um, And that's dangerous, right? That Mm -hmm. is what leads to disillusionment and disengagement and low turnout and all the conditions that Trump would need to win. So, I don't know. Maybe maybe take some time thinking about these two polls the next few days and and eking some hopefulness out of them or something, you know, because we're in this landscape where it's exactly how you said to open the segment, right? That first bad Biden poll and every subsequent Biden poll has been new cycles unto themselves, right? Days of coverage. And then we get one where, you know, shows Biden in a electorate that is always going to be 50-50-ish and it's just what's on the margins that matters, you know, leading by a couple points. And you don't get the same treatment, right? You don't, we don't, we haven't really seen a flurry of think pieces about maybe the Biden plummet has ended, right? Or, or momentum shift, Biden takes the lead again, right? right? right, So I don't know. It's just, I think it's worth it's impossible to not be influenced by all these factors. And as we and our our listeners are, when you're a high news consumer, it's hard not to be affected by the shape of the discourse, right? But despair is just kind of playing into his hands. And I really think it's not that warranted. And that if you kind of add together any accumulation of data points, all of a sudden it becomes... It becomes a trend whether or not it is for real. You know, it's that thing when you're having a bad day where you're like, and I spilled my coffee and the shower wasn't warm enough. And, you know, you can you can make a narrative out of whatever you yeah. want kind of thing. Yeah, so no, totally, anyway, totally. I guess my, my short thing is just chin up. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think even definitely on the, the, the narrative, but even more narrowly on polls, it's, it's a reminder. These are going to undulate, you know. Back and forth. I think you know if if you want to avoid any sense of emotional roller coaster, it's going to be a close election. It just is. Y- you may uh, yell at the sky, thinking, "How can it possibly be a close election given who Trump is?" But it is. It is. A, you know, how could it, how could it have been close in twenty twenty after we'd all been through four years of his nonsense? So you know. As as Kate said, we should all we should all buck up. Not because we don't have some reason to be sad, but because that's just a better way to to sort of exist in the world. And I guess that's it, right? Yeah, that's about that's all we about got it. for this week. All mm-hmm. right. Well, uh, remember. Let me remind you. We still have this offer going. If you sign up to be a member now, TPM member, still have thirty percent off our membership price. So it's a great deal. And if you sign up now, you get. 
takes you right through the 2024 election. So great deal. If you're not already a member, stop by the site, talkingpointsmemo.com. You'll see ads and stuff to, to sign up with the 30% off. And uh, I think that's all we have for this week. All right. See you next week. Later. The Josh Marshall Podcast is hosted by me, TPM reporter Kate Riga, and TPM founder, editor-in-chief Josh Marshall. The show is produced by Jackie Wilhelm. Thanks to Why Not Jansfeld for our podcast theme song, and thanks to all our TPM members who make this possible. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and subscribe wherever you listen. 